Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. This week on the podcast, we're going to talk with Brienne Curtis. She is Grain Farmers of Ontario's Communications Coordinator in charge of public outreach. Brienne is going to speak with us about some of the recent activities we've been involved with through the Good and Evergreen campaign. And she's also going to explain what exactly that campaign entails. But first, a quick update on what's been happening with Grain Farmers of Ontario since our last podcast. The Government of Ontario has announced they will invest in developing new practices and on-farm solutions for fruit, vegetable and field crop farmers to prevent or control costly crop diseases and pests and improve production practices. On the grain side, research that develops approaches to combat fusarium in wheat will receive funding. Grain Farmers of Ontario expects to coordinate two projects through this funding initiative. Formal agreements with researchers are still being signed. A new Great Lakes Water Quality and Ecosystem Health Agreement has been proposed by the Canadian and Ontario governments. The plan is currently open for consultations and includes recommendations on protecting waters through nutrient management, including reductions in phosphorus. The plan supports work already outlined in the Lake Erie Action Plan. Grain Farmers of Ontario has focused research in the areas of soil health, cover crops, and reducing nutrient losses. A total value of more than $4.5 million has been dedicated to these projects, and we are helping to educate farmers and the public about the need to preserve the water quality in Lake Erie. Each year, Grain Farmers of Ontario attends events across the province to connect with the public, and we're looking for people to be Good and Evergreen ambassadors to help out at these events. If you're interested in being an ambassador or know someone who might be, please send an email to hr at gfo.ca. Ambassadors need to be knowledgeable about Ontario grain and agriculture, as well as be outgoing and enthusiastic about talking to the public. You're going to have to answer questions and address concerns regarding modern agriculture and help spread the Good in Every Grain key messages. And now, to tell us more about Good in Every Grain, here's my conversation with Brianne Curtis. Joining us on the podcast today is Brianne Curtis, who is the Communications Coordinator, Public Outreach for Grain Farmers of Ontario. Thanks for stopping by the podcast today. Thanks for having me on today. I'm pretty excited to, to chat everything of public outreach. So why don't we start with what your role is here at Grain Farmers of Ontario? What does it mean to be the public outreach person? So um, basically, my role is just to talk to consumers about everything related to grain farming. So whether that's the farming practices that's being done in the fields or what the grains are being made into for our food for health and nutrition, um, down to even some of the messaging that we wouldn't consider for like biofuels and things like that. So anything related that we feel consumers need to know about grain farming, that's kind of where I fall under, whether it's planning an event or putting things on social media, writing blog posts, um, creating partnerships and sponsorships, just basically everything under good and every grain, um, just talking to consumers about grains. And you come from a family farming background. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and sort of how you ended up here? Sure. So uh, my family farms in East Garifraxa Township, just north of Guelph here. Um, So my dad and brother farm full-time on a grain and a cattle operation. We have beef cattle at home. And then I work full-time, but I'm there helping whenever I can be and I want to be involved in the future. Um, So originally, I actually didn't see myself going into agriculture at all when I was finishing up high school. It's not something I really looked forward to or wanted to, but long story short, I ended up going to um, the University of Guelph Ridgetown College, and while there, I basically just went as a trial run to see if I would enjoy it, and then somewhere along the line, I watched a presentation about 
agriculture communications and it um, kind of became an epiphany that consumers don't know what's going on at farms and that kind of stuck with me. So uh, long story short, I graduated Ridgetown and then went to Olds College in Alberta to finish up with my agribusiness uh, degree and from there I ended up at Grain Farmers of Ontario as the Grain Discovery Zone ambassador traveling around with their small trailer and then ended up uh, when I finished that up in the communications coordinator public outreach role. So that's a roundabout way how um, my background in agriculture has led me here. Um, so farming at home with my family and now get to tell the, the good story to all the consumers out there. So why did you head west out to Alberta? What was it about the province or the school that made you want to continue your education there? So um, besides the mountains and the cattle, uh, but this program itself out there, the agribusiness degree program, was um, a really awesome program where you were in school for eight months and then got to do an eight-month job placement. And I knew I wanted to work in agriculture communications, so that job placement itself really stuck out in my mind. And I was lucky enough to do my job placement here at Grain Farmers of Ontario to help me finish up my schooling. So it just, it was a great fit for where I was at. And it also, um, it seemed to work out really well because I'm still here at Grain Farmers. So overall, it was just a great decision and the, the program was really awesome. So let's talk a bit more now then about Good in Every Grain, which is really the focus of your role. And and there's so many different elements to it. You mentioned like events and consumer outreach and, and stuff like that. So what exactly is Good in Every Grain? So in a nutshell, Good in Every Grain is basically the story of Ontario's grain farmers. So um, we use Good in Every Grain as a, a platform to be able to tell the story of grain farming to consumers in a way that they will resonate and understand and basically, yeah, just understand what's going on at a grain farm. So whether that's going, diving deep into like the farming practices, like why farmers use GMOs or why farmers are choosing glyphosate when they're spraying, it's things like that that consumers don't always understand. And so Good Neighbor Grain is just basically the storytelling campaign to be able to tell the story of grain grain farming to consumers so they are able to take that information and you know, make their decisions based on that after they've heard the the truth, basically. And why is it important that we do this? So I've heard this question quite a bit. From, farmers want to know why we're yeah. spending our, their money on doing this yeah. kind of thing. Farmers, fair enough. I mean, they definitely are sometimes a little apprehensive when it comes to public outreach and good never green. But I think the biggest thing we have to remember is that we are 2% of the population and the other 98%. I think the stat is they are like 3 or more generations removed from the farm. So they don't always understand what's going on on a farm and they're getting the information online and that isn't always the truth. So we need to be out there getting the word out, um, clearing up misconceptions and also just reminding people that just back, back to the basics, that grains are good for us. They are good for our bodies. There's lots of nutrients in them. We should be consuming them. Many dietitians and doctors out there will recommend whole grains into a diet. So even just back to the basics of it's good nutrition all the way up to, hey, farmers are doing good things. They're not, you know, wrecking the environment or they're they're not producing things that are harmful to us. And it's just a roundabout way to, to remind consumers that we're here, we're doing good things, and we'll continue to do good things as long as it's still proven to be good. So let's talk a bit of specifics about some of the events that we've been at recently, because summer is quite a busy time with all the different events that go on. So uh, beginning of July, we were in Ottawa for Canada Day with our big Growing Connections trailer. Can you maybe start first and tell us about the trailer and, and what that exhibit entails? Sure. So our Growing Connections exhibit is our large trailer. It's 52 feet long and it folds out to be basically four stages in a movie theater. 
Um, so it's a it's a pretty big display. So if you ever see it somewhere, it stands out a little bit. Um, but it's all designed to again be educational and awareness about Ontario grains. And then we have staff and farmers on site to to answer people's questions or to help uh, give out handouts or make fun interactive activities. So specifically with Canada Day, we were in Major Hills Park, right behind the Fairmont and Parliament Hill for the whole for the weekend. So it was June. 30th and July 1st we were up there um, so we were promoting grains and some of the health and nutrition facts around grains so we completed a survey this past winter to Canadians on their whole grain eating habits and so we had some really great information that came out um, like 90% of people understand that fiber is super important but only like a small percentage of consumers actually make sure there's fiber in their diet which and, is weird right because yeah. you think if they know it's good for them that they would eat it they know that's good for them but they just they aren't doing that and fiber is obviously a big uh, nutrient in grains so we are promoting things like that to the the people that were visiting a Canada Day uh, celebrations and that event is actually incredibly fun to be at everyone is really positive and upbeat and they're just in a celebratory mood which really works well of celebrating grains um, so we had a great weekend it was busy the weather was beautiful um, we had lots of people visiting the trailer it was so busy at one point that like you couldn't walk through the trailer. There are so many people like checking out the wall of grains, our grocery store display and things like that. So it was overall a really great event and a great start to the summer season. And then just recently, the Hunt Indie. And again, that's a totally different audience that we target when we attend that event. Completely different uh, event and completely different, um, again, like you said, audience and messaging that we do. So obviously the Hunt Indie is a race car. So there's the Indie race cars. Then there's the NASCAR Pinty race car series um there's a porsche mini cup series and then there's also new this year which was a really fun was a stadium super trucks where they were like jumping trucks on the track um so overall it's very like vehicle race cars um demographic or um event and so the demographics itself definitely reflects that a little bit so car enthusiasts um mostly men dominated uh things like that so with so that. why are we there, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> people are probably like, okay, so it's all about cars. So why are we there? So I heard that question a lot. So this weekend, that was one of the main questions we got was, why is Grain Farmers here? But it was actually because of ethanol and biofuels. So all the Hunt Indy cars run on an E85 ethanol blend, so 85% ethanol. And um, Ontario corn can be made into ethanol. I think it's like 34, 35% of Ontario corn. It can be made into ethanol and then soybeans can be made into biodiesel. So that was our big messaging this weekend was biofuels come from Ontario grains, how that's something that we could look forward to um, and that we're already seeing in our gas pumps with, I think, all the gas pumps in Ontario are between e- E5 and E10 ethanol already. So that was the big messaging that we were pushing for this weekend was ethanol, biofuels, renewable, sustainable fuel source um, and that the IndyCars are running on ethanol. And what was people's reaction when they found out that uh, corn makes ethanol and that helps to power their cars? I think most people were overall incredibly positive. At first, I think they were generally a little confused, like, oh, grain farmers, that doesn't fit here. But then as soon as we started chatting with them or they saw the signage, it made sense. And a lot of people kept asking, why don't we see more ethanol in our gas? Why aren't we selling E85 like they are in the, the States? Um, so that was a big thing of um, explaining like where things are at with that. But also... Um, Again, just overall incredibly positive because they're like, oh, that's that's renewable. Like there's never going to be like an end ethanol production as long as we can grow corn. And that's incredibly sustainable. And yeah, they were just overall very positive. And a lot of them were like, I kind of wish there was more ethanol, which, you know, hopefully that'll translate into something in the future years to to boost the ethanol production here in Ontario. 
Now, you mentioned specifically to Han, any the common question about why were you there? But in general, when we're out at these events, um, whether it's in Toronto or in other parts of the province, what are some of the most common questions that you're finding that consumers have in general about grains and grain farming? I find it changes every year um, based on what's kind of in the news recently. So this so far this summer, we've had a lot of questions about climate change and the environment and how it's changing and what farmers are doing to protect that and how they can reduce their carbon uh, footprint. So that's been a big thing lately. But we always get really um, different questions when it comes to like GMOs and glyphosate, I think just because of all the misconceptions people hear online or they hear a couple different stories and it comes into one question about the chemical companies, the seed companies, whatever. So those are definitely questions we get quite a bit. Um, Do you find that people confuse some of the issues together and it turns into like one thing when it's really like three separate issues? Yes. I The amount of times I've had someone come up and say, oh, I'm gluten intolerant because of the glyphosate that's injected into the GMO wheat. And that's that's there's so much going on in that question that I think we need to sit down and have a conversation. But yeah, there's so much misinformation out there that all these myths and misinformation just kind of gets collided together in one big question that comes out. But those are probably some of the biggest ones. But we also get things of... Um, how are farmers doing? That was a big thing when we were in Canada or in Ottawa for Canada Day was how are farmers doing because of the wet weather they were hearing that was happening across the province last fall. We were definitely getting a lot of questions of what's going on with harvest, like it's raining, can anyone be in the field? So people I think are understanding that when weather changes, farmers can't be working and they they get that. Um, but then we also get questions. I think my, my most memorable conversation I had with a gentleman, um, which... I get it. I get where he was coming from, but it it totally didn't make sense. But he said, well, farmers could be millionaires if they sold all their land because the price because the land value prices. And I, I was like, well, but then who yes. would grow your food? Yeah. And I was like, but who, who would buy that? A developer? Like, where would where would that land go to? And what would a farmer do then? They'd have all this money, but they wouldn't be farming anymore. And it took a little bit of back and forth for him, I think, to come to the conclusion that Yes, like land, you can buy and sell it much like any other product. But at the end of the day, we need farmland to grow the food. Like there's no other, there's no other option there really. Um, so that was probably one of the most like memorable conversations I've ever had was uh, that gentleman. And I think he came from a, like an economic or business background because he definitely was like, there's money there. Like why are farmers not making lots of money? Because they could be making the money if they sold all their land. So I mean, we often hear that consumers don't understand where the food that they buy in their grocery store comes from. And when you have conversations like that, I guess it really hits home that that's true. Because I got from my perspective, I'm like, I know where that came from. It's like the meat didn't just show up on the styrofoam plate. It had to come from somewhere. And just like, you know, your cookies, they had to have different ingredients go into them that were obviously grown on a farm. So has that ever been surprising to you, just sort of some of those misconceptions that the consumers have or that, I guess, what has just really shocked you in terms of a conversation that you've had? Yeah, I think sometimes it's just really hard for them to make the connection between food they eat at home, they bought at a grocery store, it came from somewhere that then beyond that came from a farm. So I think one of the biggest questions I got early on when I first started with Grain Farmers was a woman had asked me if farmers mill their wheat and then sell the flour to the bakers in the city. Like, and I think she was not meaning like the big like bread making facilities in the province. I think she was ma- meaning like the small time bakers. Like her corner bakery. Yeah, that like she a goes corner to. store bakery. Yeah. yeah. And that, I honestly, it, it threw me a little bit because I was not expecting that. And I was like, 
no, like we, we sell the wheat who then it gets sold to a flour mill and that ma- flour gets made and then sold to wherever. But I think beyond they, they, they know farmers create food, but there's such like a missing piece for that entire middle ground where farmer makes food. We buy food in a grocery store, but they have no idea what happens in the middle there. Like the process that goes through how we don't grow flour we grow wheat which gets made into flour so there's definitely like information there that should be be putting out there um that we're obviously working hard at doing but yeah I think that's one of the biggest ones that I've ever seen um was that question there about uh, do we do we make flour at home and I was like I don't think so <laughs> I don't know if that's common <laughs> some people might make their own for Maybe. their own use but <laughs> it's a bit uh, unusual so that sounds like that was a good conversation that you had with somebody and that it was a nice back and forth conversation and they were open to hearing what you had to tell them, but that's not always the case. No. So, <laughs> so sometimes people get quite opinionated or angry or they're very set in what they heard on the TV or read online is correct. So how do you approach dealing with those consumers that are just angry? Well, that is a, that's a loaded question, Rachel. Um, so of course, we do see people that come up to the booth or the trailer that are pretty, um, I want to say fired up, like they have an opinion, they see us and they're like, well, I'm going to tell this woman here that she does not know what she's talking You're about. wrong about everything. I'm wrong about farmers. Um, despite the fact that you are one. Yeah, despite the fact, despite that. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I've learned and I try and encourage other people to do is just... Remain as professional as you can. There's no point dragging yourself through the mud to try and beat the person or try and convince them that they're they're wrong in what they're thinking. Um, but at the end of the day, you, we, we need to learn how to let it go a little bit that, yes, we need to be convincing these people, but these aren't the people that are going to change. It's the like the middle ground people that are like, oh, like I've heard things on Facebook, but I, I don't know what's true or not. Those are the people that we can make an impact to. The people that are dead set against GMOs, that they're bad and glyphosate causes cancer, which it does not because science says so. Um, it's those people that, that pesky were... science. <laughs> that's science stuff. Um, those are the people that we're, we're not going to be able to change them overnight and in one conversation. So we need to be able to say, hey, we have very different opinions here. We need to let it go or we need to agree to disagree and then personally just let the conversation go and not take it personally. Because at the end of the day, you can't be upset over a conversation with somebody who basically told you that you're a killer and you're killing the world and then try and talk to the like young man that's coming up just asking about what does the GMO mean? You can't take that energy from that one conversation to the next one. So that's one thing that I've had to learn to do is just let it go and just realize that we can't change everybody, but the people who are just questioning, those are the ones we can make an impact to. Now, we talked a bit about social media and the impact that that's had in terms of misinforming consumers. But I mean, we've also used that tool ourselves with the Good and Evergreen campaign. So can you tell us a bit about how we utilize social media and how that's changed as that has evolved? Because that's an ever-changing industry itself, social media. Of course. So we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, and Pinterest. So those are our five main social media sites that we use. And they're all used a little bit differently based on how the dem- so each social media site will have their own like demographic and characteristics of people who are using it. So for example, Instagram is really popular with uh, teen- the teenage group and young adults. Um, Twitter is very popular with, um, I want to say like like middle-aged and like young adults, but a little bit older young adults. Um, and then Facebook is definitely like middle-aged to a wee bit older 
um, elderly people as well. So everyone has different demographic and characteristics for each social site. And then with that, they're going to be thinking differently. So Instagram, they're definitely thinking with the younger demographic, like, oh, like I heard gluten free, like people shouldn't be eating gluten. I'm not going to eat carbs anymore or whatever. So we then use that information that we can gather um, through our, our followers and things like that to understand how to speak to everyone differently on each site. So that's definitely evolved as social media has evolved, that different people are using different ones. And as pe- new people are coming onto social media or whatever, things are changing in that sense that we have to keep on the ball and understa- understanding basically who the people are that are using those sites and how do we speak to them in their language that they'll understand and, and get what we're saying. So how do you know what is the next big trend in social media and how do you stay on top of where should you be going next? So that is a very tricky question. There's always social media apps popping up all over the place and it's, it's always trying to figure out like how can we fit in there? Like how can we easily fit that doesn't look forced or whatever so that's always really tricky to understand that and trying to find our place in the the internet world um but i think the biggest thing is just whatever we see starting to come popular we work with a a site called a hootsuite which actually is a social media like planner platform and they're always sending out like webinars on what's what's the next big trend in, in social media and how to talk to consumers and things like that. So it's been really valuable to use resources like that to be able to understand ourselves, what is going on in that world. And and also I think just understanding what we see people using. So Snapchat was starting to get very popular. And when we were at events, we were seeing like the, the geo filters where you can like swipe on your picture and put the location of where you are. And so there was geo filters for like the CNE and the Royal Winter Fair and things like that. And it was like, oh, like, that's really cool. People are using that. How can we use that when we're at events? So it's things like that of just seeing it going on or seeing like the the kids or whatever coming to visit us and chatting about it. Or if we're asking people to enter contests and we have people saying, oh, I don't have Instagram. Like, why would I enter that contest on Instagram? When I don't even have it. It's like, oh, OK, well, not everybody's on Instagram. What are they on? How are they on it? How can we use that then? So it's always like a Every older person knows if you have a technology problem, ask a 12-year-old. Right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That, we go to them too. We're like, oh, what, what, what are you and your friends on? What do you guys do when you're on social media? So that always helps a little bit too, chatting with the, the younger people. Now, for those who might be a bit more old school when it comes to this technology, we do have a website for Good and Every Grain. So what sort of resources are there on there? We've kind of directed that towards different audiences again. So our teachers and consumers and even farmers can have resources there. Yeah. So we have uh, basically a lot of resources on there, um, like you said, directed different things. So we have a really great teachers aspect where teachers can download um, like sheets about some of the farming practices, GMOs, pesticides, glyphosate. Those are probably the big ones that we always are being asked for. Um, and then on there also we have our teacher's kits where teachers can order um, seed caps for their grade three classroom. And they can also download um, an online based learning uh, curriculum plan uh, for the grade six to seven and eight. So they're on there as well. And then we also have recipes that we're updating as well uh, every so often. So we have lots of recipes on there. We have a blog ongoing about writing what's going on in the fields, what's going on in the grain industry that's relevant to consumers. Everything on Good and Every Grain is designed to talk to consumers. So if a farmer member were to visit that and they see some things like, why are we chatting about why farmers use glyphosate? Of course we use glyphosate. It's it's meant for consumers because they don't always understand 
why farmers are making the choices when media is telling them that they shouldn't be. So everything on Good Never Green is designed for consumers and chatting through the consumer language, basically, um, about grain. So there's, yeah, like I said, recipes, there's blog posts on there explaining farmers what they're doing in the fields with some really great stats or or links to other websites, um, teacher's kits, things like that. So there's, there's lots of great stuff on there. And farmers should probably go and check it out so that they understand the types of conversations that we're having so that if they encounter that same sort of situation, situation at the grocery store at the coffee shop I mean that the non-farming rural public is ever increasing so they're probably running into these situations more and more so I guess what would be your top tip to a farmer who has to talk to the public or they they hear overhear a conversation what should they do I think the biggest thing to remember is that as soon as I go to an event and I say, oh, I farm with my family, as opposed to saying, oh, I just work for this company. People are more inclined to be like, oh, I, I want to talk to you now because you're the you're the real deal. You know what's going on. So I think if someone were to introduce being like, I'm a farmer, I, I grow this food or I use this on my farm, what questions do you have? I can explain what I do on my farm. And then from there, just understanding that we're in the age that science and hard facts aren't winning consumers over anymore they are not trusting of the science or the facts that we say like for biofuels um, ethanol reduces carbon emissions by like 62 percent that's all well and good but they're like so like why should I care so I think at the end of the day when you're having a conversation with a consumer or at the grocery store and you see somebody if you can say hey I use glyphosate on my farm because I know it's safe for me to use I know it's safe for my food that I'm then going to feed my family if you bring it back to a personal level and like a shared value where I where you could say you eat the same food as I do it's safe for you it's safe for me I wouldn't grow food that I wouldn't feed my family why would I grow food that I wouldn't feed your family and bringing that personal connection in that is more likely to have a positive outcome in the conversation than just saying the facts about something. So a personal shared value of how to connect with the consumer that basically we're all consumers and we're all on the same page at the end of the day. Um, really, I have found in my experience to be really helpful. And it seems like this job is never ending. There's always going to be a new <laughs> no. issue, a new hot topic that we have to address. And and that's why we're continuously at different events. So what is coming up for Good in Every Grain this summer and into the fall? So um, like you said earlier on, we're uh, just kicking off our basically summer season with the Good in Every Grain on our large trailer. So we're going to be heading down to the Canadian National Exhibition, the X, in Toronto uh, for the end of August. So we're down there with the booth display. We, uh, we have a tractor coming down this year, which I'm really excited about. So we'll be down there for about three weeks. And then in September, we're attending the International Plowing Match in Verner, Ontario. So we're heading up to Northern Ontario with our trailer. So that's super exciting to get up there and see some of the farmers up there. So everybody, be sure to come out to the International Plowing Match in September. And then November gets incredibly busy again. We have two major events that year, that uh, month as well. So we have the Royal Agriculture Winter Fair, and we also have the Gourmet Food and Wine Expo. So those are two very different events that we attend, uh, but both really valuable for getting in front of consumers and just chatting about the grain industry and uh, what farmers are doing in the fields, as well as the foods that come from our grains. And again, the Gourmet Food and Wine Show, that's another audience that yes. we, because that's like sort of the younger adult crowd yes. and yeah. and making that connection between what's in their glass and what's in the field. So yeah. a lot of people are, <laughs> I find that interesting. They don't actually understand where the spirits come from that they're drinking. Exactly. Or uh, last, year, last year we were showcasing on a corn-based whiskey made from Ontario corn. Uh, we were showcasing Collingwood whiskey, which is made 
I think they had said like 96% of it comes from Ontario, Ontario corn. And they also source all their corn within like 200 kilometers of their, their facility in Collingwood. So that was really exciting to not only be like, hey, this is a Canadian product, but it's an Ontario product and it's a local product to this area using Ontario corn. So the Gourmet Food and Wine Expo is definitely pushing like the foodies and the food and the drink, obviously, to the people. Um, so we've got some really fun plans in store for this year. So I'm excited to, to get that one going and to come up with some new food items that are made from Ontario grains. And when we talk about Ontario grains and how people can find them in the grocery store, is it surprising when we talked about spirits and beer and different products, is that also one of the things that you find that people just don't realize how many different products involve grain? Yes, I think most people... They, they know that this is a farming province, but I think they don't understand like how much. Like we represent 6 million acres of grain. So in consumer language, that's like 14 million hockey rinks worth of cropland. So I think when they hear that, they're like, oh, wow, that's a lot. And then you follow up on that saying that, you know, with the Collingwood whiskey that they source almost all of their their product from corn farmers in the area that to them, once they hear that, they're like, oh, that would make sense. There's so much corn in this province. It would make sense they use it here. But again, it takes that little bit of conversation to make those connections for them to be like, yeah, there are a lot of grains here that are being used here and we should be focusing on that and make and celebrating the fact that we can use local grains here in the province in so many different items. Now, every month in the Ontario Grain Farmer, the back page is an mm-hmm. update on what we're doing with Good in Every Grain. Yes, yes. What other ways can farmers keep connected with our program and, and what we're doing? So we always try to be posting on social media, like you said. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, Pinterest, just updating on where we're at, what events we're going to. So feel free to, to follow along with those and see where we're, where we're going. But if you have any questions about, I just want to let the farmer members know that if there's any questions about Good in Every Grain, we're happy to chat about what is going on and what is like in the works coming up for Good Never Grain or if somebody needs you know if they are going to do a presentation at their their child's school and they are like hey I want to bring some resources in definitely reach out to us and we can make sure we get those to you to make sure that you know the right things are getting in the right hands and that they feel prepared if they're ever in that situation so uh yeah definitely follow us online and then just uh give us a shout if you ever need anything here in the office Well, thanks for joining us today, Brianne. This has been a great conversation to talk about our outreach. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rachel. Joining us now on the podcast is Marcus Hurl, the chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario. Thanks for joining us today, Marcus. Yes, good afternoon. Now, Marcus, um, planting this this spring has not gone very well for some farmers. And here we are now mid-July some farmers didn't even get any crops in the ground. What have you been seeing and hearing out there in the fields? We have to understand that this year has been a unique situation through the province. Uh, farmers struggled uh, even with the deadline extensions to put a crop in. Um, and I think uh, we have to realize that some of the crop is going to need every good, nice day to finish off and uh, to have some potential of a yield. Uh, So I'm going to speak maybe a bit about where my situation in Eastern Ontario is. Like we we did see opportunities to put a crop in, but uh, we also had uh, three weeks of no rain. And this year is uh, actually timely rains are needed to bring this crop to grow because uh, some of the uh, root systems on the uh, on the uh, corn and soybeans are not a lot of uh, not very well developed so uh, 
we need timely rains to uh, get this crop going. And uh, I think it, I'm going to speak for the whole province that uh, we're going to need a significant good timing of precipitation and heat to get something done. Now, um, uh, farmers that uh, didn't get any crop in, it's, uh, there's quite a few of them out in the countryside across the province. Uh, and some farmers even have been hit twice now this past year with some of the corn crop coming in and high down levels. And again, with planting delays this spring, uh, it's uh, going to be very difficult for some farmers to ride this all through. And uh, we hope that uh, they have a chance to work with uh, AgriCorp to cover some of those losses. Now, Marcus, how has this weather been impacting the rest of your progress on the farm? I know you're talking to us today from your sprayer, you mentioned. So how has it been getting in the fields in terms of the condition that they're in? Are you noticing um, any field damage from, from planting in wet weather? Or, or what's the general sense uh, from you right now? Yeah, well, uh, so uh, looking out into my corn and soybean fields, the first thing that I notice is... Uh, First of all, compaction that we created, we're going to pay for this for the few, next few years to come. Second of all, uh, I think varieties uh, that are adaptable to uh, harsh conditions are a winner this year, at least uh, at this point of, uh, of the growing season. And I think um, we're going to have to realize that uh, some of the top yield potential might not be achieved, uh, even though if you did all the agronomic side uh, perfectly, there's uh, still many challenges to come. Now, Marcus, you are about to head out to a meeting um, with the federal provincial territorial ministers, which is taking place in Quebec City, and they're going to be talking about some business risk management program review. What are you hoping to achieve at that conference, and what is your message going to be there? Yeah, so uh, this coming week uh, in Quebec City, uh, the ministers are meeting again. Uh, in the past few years, they uh, we want to make sure that uh, we do have an engagement uh, with the uh, ministers and their staff uh, around BRM review, especially about the lack of programming that we have at the present time. We know that uh, we've been living a more challenging uh, perspective on our uh, marketing, which is becoming more and more volatile. That's caused by some of the trade impacts from the, uh, the soybean uh, issue in the U.S. with China. Uh, now uh, the canola uh, is in scrutiny also, beef, uh, pork. Uh, we're living in a more volatile marketplace, so we want to make sure that we're engaged with all ministers across the country to make sure that they understand the need of the, 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 the today's farmer and how um, ineffective some of the business risk management tools that we have are to cover those losses. So through the Ag Growth Coalition, uh, we are uh, engaged in that process since many years. And again, uh, we uh, bring the message to the ministers that they need to address all aspects of, of the BRM review and 
actually address it in a timely fashion that the farmers have the tools that are necessary for the businesses to be sustainable for the future to come. Now, Marcus, some of those messages are also good things that farmer members can talk to those uh, candidates in the federal election that's upcoming. A lot of them are making the barbecue circuit this summer. So what should farmers be thinking about and, and how can they become engaged in that federal election process? Yeah, so we know that that timeline is set, that the federal election is coming here and uh, this fall. And uh, as we've noticed now the, uh, the last few weeks, uh, there has been more and more uh, uh, attack campaigns from one uh, party to the other. And uh, that means that they're ramping up towards all this. So we, as the farming industry, have to be uh, using this, a whole ramping up to our benefit also first of all going out to the uh the constituencies uh being engaged within uh the, the whole election process address your points uh because we are are only a minority as uh voters and uh, often enough we are asked to basically step aside or we're not really acknowledged in the process but we do have a significant amount of messages that uh, need to be addressed. And uh, uh, again, like uh, businesses management is one of them. Uh, we need to be uh, uh, engaged in choosing the, the, the candidates in the, the, the consistencies that are representing farming and uh, that are actually acknowledging us within this whole uh, process. Well, thanks for taking the time to speak with us today, Marcus. Good luck out in the fields. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Brianne Curtis and Marcus Hurl. If you like what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.